Hey, good morning, church. Great to see you. Welcome to Union Chapel. So glad you're here. We're glad that you've chosen to be with us today. My name is Greg Paris. I'm going to be the preacher today. We are we're in a series on wisdom. Now, you all know what wisdom is, right? It's the application of experiences and knowledge all work together so that you gain perspective and understanding about a particular question or decision or circumstance, and you are able to apply your experiences and knowledge to that particular question. That's wisdom. Now, the Bible also says you can kick it up even a couple more notches beyond that, and that is by staying in good connection with God because God actually knows things we don't know, and we can actually acquire His wisdom in a circumstance when we could use it. So the Bible teaches us that if we stay in connection with God and with His Word and with His people, then we can also understand God's wisdom, and that's a, that's a great benefit. So today I want to talk about understanding uh, the importance of obedience, bold obedience, and I want to impart God's wisdom if I can. Our text this morning is from Acts chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Acts 5, I'm going to read just a few verses, 17 to 20. Let me give you some context for this uh, passage. Peter and John and the other apostles have been ministering in Jesus' name. This is after the resurrection, after the ascension of Christ, and, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So the book of Acts really is the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit, uh, both. And, and so we find this amazing activity of God through his apostles in the early days of the church. And Peter and John in particular have been in jail once already, and they're about to get in trouble again for preaching the gospel. Not only were they telling people about Jesus, but they were performing miracles as well in the power of the Holy Spirit. Just prior to our, our section of Scripture in Acts 5, we find that people were bringing the sick and the, and, the, and the demonized from all the surrounding villages around Jerusalem, and they were laying these people on the ground next to the street so that Peter, when he passed by, might cast his shadow on them, and people were being healed in that, in that way. It's an amazing time of God's intervention and miraculous presence. And so the whole city's being stirred up, as you can imagine. And so we pick up the story right after these guys uh, have been performing these miracles. So if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Acts 5. If not, we'll project the words on the screen beginning in verse 17. Our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, thank you for doing that. Verse 17, then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go, stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life, all about this new life. Now, may God instruct and inspire us through this important story. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Now, here's the big idea. I'm going to put it on the screen. This is the big idea for the day. I'm going to put it on the screen. This is the big idea. I'll keep this in mind all the way through, okay? Here's the idea for today. You have no idea what our God can set into motion through a single act of obedience. We totally underestimate undervalue, underanticipate what God can do, Almighty God might do through a single act of obedience. 
When we know God's word, we know his will, we know the purpose and plan, we know the timing, we know what we should, we know what we should do, and we do it. We obey God. We have no idea what God has in mind for a moment like that. Great opportunity exists in the context of obedience. And that's not just true in your spiritual life. That's true in your family. That's true in your business. That's true in your ministry. That's true in all aspects of life. Let me ask you a question. How many of you, uh, uh, let's just say before you knew Jesus, you had a life of sinfulness? You, you practiced sin pretty good. Come on, you're a real practicer. How many of you discovered that sin is actually fun? Did you find that out? Sin is fun? That's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that sin is fun for a time. Sin is fun for a season. But then it has consequences. Not so good. Uh, sinning is like, like a sneeze. By the way, if you were sinning and you weren't having fun, you just weren't doing it right. You, you were confused about how to do it. So sin is fun for a season. And that's true. But sin is like a sneeze. Uh, when you first sneeze, you know, that's exciting. It's euf even euphoric. I mean, it touches you, right? It, it, it's exhilarating when you sneeze. But right after that, you got all this snot you have to deal with. And so sin is the same way. It produces a consequence like that. Let me tell you something about my conversion. I was 16 years old when I said yes to Jesus Christ. And I grew up in a church, but I really wasn't in a church that communicated this message very clearly, at least in a way that I could understand. And so at the age of 16, we had these special meetings. And I have to tell you, I, I didn't have a place for God in my life. I was more into the socializing, more into the athletics at 16. But my mother really begged me to go to church on this occasion on a Friday night. You know, there's a high school football game. I'd prefer to do that. But she insisted, so I went to church, and God, God really caught me off guard. He caught me by surprise. Has that ever happened to you? That, you know, God, like, a, he outsmarts you, outwits you, he ambushes you. You ever felt like, I've been ambushed by God? <laughs> this happens to me all the time. And it happened to me when I was 16, and I was so surprised to realize that the gospel message had application to my life that God had made a way for me, that the wages of my own sins was separation from God and that the, the fractured relationship I had with God at 16 was caused by my own rebellion toward God, that God had made a way for me, that he had made satisfaction for my sin, that he could forgive my sins and restore my relationship with him. And the way that I could find that is through trusting God and the work of Jesus Christ. And so it really was a message that I didn't understand until that evening. And I came to terms with that and realized that the step I needed to take was to receive this gift, to accept for myself, to trust in Christ by faith the gift that he'd offered me. And that's what I did. It was an amazing evening because when I said yes to Jesus, I, I gave my yes to him. I I practiced obedience for the first time in my life toward God. You know, God had this idea, and I obeyed his invitation to say yes to him, and it started to change me. It's really interesting. I was leaving the church that night, and I was kind of in a hurry because, frankly, when I, when I was converted, it was confusing to me. God had just, you know, jumped out from behind the corner and went, here I am, and I went, whoa, wow, yeah, there you are, but I don't know what this means. 
And so I was leaving the church, and I was kind of in a hurry because I was, I was uncertain about what had just happened to me. And I had about two steps to go before I was out the back door, and there was a woman sitting on the last row of the church, and she looked at me, and we made eye contact, and she said these words to me. She said, God loves you. And she said it in a tone and a tenor that would imply that she wanted me to respond to her. And so now I have two steps left before I'm out of view, and I want to be responsive to her. I don't want to be rude. She's said something to me. She's expecting a response, and she said to me, God loves you, and so now I'm trying to sort in my confused state, what should I say to that? I don't know if you remember 16. <laughs> that kind of stuff was not in my vernacular. The last step I took, I opened my mouth. This is what I heard myself say. I said, God loves you too. And then I walked out the door and went, where did that come from? What is that? How strange. Strange words. Strange ideas. Strange moments. What is going on? I remember I went home. I didn't tell anybody in my house about what had happened to me. I went to bed. I thought, well, maybe I'll sleep it off. Something's going on. <laughs> I woke up the next morning, second story bedroom window. I woke up to the sound of birds singing in the tree right outside my window. I woke up and I thought, listen to those birds singing. Aren't they beautiful? And then I caught myself. Bird singing? Are you kidding? When you're, I don't know if you're, you remember 16, but 16, you're not listening to birds sing. I, it's just not, it doesn't cross your mind. So, and I, but it, this is how I interpreted it. Something has happened to me. Something has happened to me. I'm not sure what it is yet, but something is going on. Well, I later described it as my life went from black and white to high def color, that everything changed. The world suddenly got bright. The whole world started to make sense. The whole world took on some context. It had meaning, it had purpose to it, it had significance to it. Because the Bible says that if any person be in Christ, they become a new creation. Old things pass away and new things come. And I was experiencing newness of life. I was trans transformed by the presence of Jesus Christ. And it was really amazing. And to this day, almost 50 years later, I can stand before you and say, my life is still not right. I'm still connected to him, and it's making a transformative difference in my world. And I just want to repeat again this simple thought for the day, which is we have no idea what Almighty God can do through one simple act of obedience. Well, I want to share a few things that I've learned about obedience. I put them on an outline, and I want to share them with you. Here's the first point. You want to write this down. Bold obedience usually triggers opposition. I'm sorry, we're going to start with a kind of a downer, but it'll come back up. But here's the first thing you need to know. It's very important to know. Bold obedience usually triggers opposition. Let's take our text today, Acts 5.18. They arrested the apostles, put them in, in jail. Now, here's Peter and John. They've walked with Jesus. They know the story. They've seen him dead, buried, and then raised to life. They've seen him ascended to heaven. They've received the, the Holy Spirit. These guys are on fire for God. They are, they are ministering for God. They are speaking for God. Miracles are being 
produced through their lives. And it's, I mean, they are, they are set off. They are really going. And their hearts are right. And they're in tune with God and his spirit and what's going on. And now they take him and they throw him in jail. Now, I don't know about you, but it may have crossed their mind, hey, what's going on? I'm doing everything Almighty God wants me to do. I'm living obediently. I'm, I'm living according to his plan and purpose. I'm exercising the ministry he's called me to. So why all the hardship? Why the difficulty? Why this hassle? Maybe you've asked that question from time to time in your life. Look, it seems like the closer I follow Jesus and the more obedient I become in my life, the worse the circumstances get. Okay. Well, welcome to the party. Welcome to the party. This is the way it works. See, the world in which we live has all kinds of forces in it that want to resist the best plan of God. So when you start living in the best plan of God, there's going to be opposition. This happened in Jesus' life. You know, they opposed him all the way to killing him. And so we shouldn't think we're going to get away with it. And so Peter and John, you know, you can imagine them saying, you know, we're doing everything you want us to do. Why all this, why all this trouble? And we sometimes may ask the same questions. When I rehearse my life in ministry and even my own personal life, it becomes very clear to me that every act of obedience that I've embraced has been met with resistance. I can talk about my professional work in the life of the church. I mean, many years ago, Union Chapel was a little church out in a cornfield, and we began to talk about maybe making Union Chapel stand alone. We used to be in a circuit with another church or two, and the reason that Methodists put these little churches together is so they can afford to pay a pastor full-time. So they all partner so they can afford to pay a pastor. And we began to talk at Union Chapel about maybe going off on our own. And the pushback, the opposition was strong at the time because you can understand people, the church had been out there for 100 years or so, and they'd never been by themselves trying to pay a pastor by themselves. So it was kind of overwhelming to think about that. So you can understand the context. So it took some faith and it took some boldness and obedience to say, well, let's go ahead and step into this and believe that God will provide. But there was opposition to that. And then, it, and then the next stage was we're going to leave our church building and go to Delta High School. So we're going to leave a perfectly good building, which is paid for, which we own, and go to a building that we have to pay for in order to use. And so all the pushback, the opposition was, why would you leave a building that you have that you don't have to pay for and go to a building that you do have to pay for? It doesn't make any sense. Even my bishop called me and said, I've only heard of someone doing this once, and that church didn't make it. They didn't even survive. Why would you leave a good building? So there's pushback. There's opposition to that. Then the next step was to buy the car lot. This property that we're on right now, this was a used car dealership. The buildings were all dilapidated. The windows busted out. Volunteer trees growing. People pushed back. So what are you thinking? You, no, that's crazy. You can't take an old car lot and turn it into a church. Nobody does that. It's not, it's not, not possible. It's a mess. It'll never work. Okay. So you have to expect opposition. And, and then the, the sanctuary... <laughs> The sanctuary wasn't as big as it is now. We actually added on to it when we remodeled it so that we could get 1,000 people in there at one time if we wanted to. 
And all kinds of voices from within the church, from outside of the church, from in the community, you know, pressing in. There was a guy that walked in one day when we were building the sanctuary, and he walked right up to me. He's a business guy, and he said, you, you, don't you know this is Muncie, Indiana? There will never be a church that has 1,000 people in a service on a Sunday morning. You'll never fill this room. Okay. You should know that Union Chapel is averaged on a weekly basis, on average, per week, between 1,200 and 2,000 people for over 30 consecutive years since then. Yeah. But you have to pray. See, obedient, if you're obedient to God's voice, there's going to be opposition. It's part of the deal. Then, then we got up and said, okay, we're, all, we're, we're, going to, we're going to focus all of our missions, extra local mission initiatives in a place called Kazakhstan, Central Asia, Kazakhstan. And people went, where is Kazakhstan? It's not Kazakhstan. It's Kazakhstan. <laughs> well, where is it? Well, it's a long way from here. Well, where? Well, you, it's a long plane ride followed by a long train ride followed by a long bus ride followed by a long drive in a car and then a long walk. And then you're there. You can't get there from here. It's way out there. But that's where we're going. That's where God's called us. That's crazy. That's insane. That's stupid. Then we should, why would people in Muncie, Indiana be interested in people in Central Asia? That's just out there too far. And so there's all this opposition. By the way, if you've been around for the last few weeks, you know that we've just launched another team into Kazakhstan full-time, a team now made up of Kazakhs. And we, of course, are in staying in touch with them. Their goal is to plant house churches in Kazakhstan where the government isn't happy about Christian activity like that. And so we were hoping that they might get a church or two a house church started before the end of the year well, they've just reported last week that they've already launched. They have four churches started, and they're expecting to have a fifth before the end of the year. Yeah. Isn't that good? Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to plant churches all over the United States, and, the, and immediately there's opposition. Anytime, anytime God tells you to do something and you say, okay, we're going to obey God and do what he told us, there's always opposition. This happens to all of us. There are enough churches. We don't need any more churches. Yes, we do need there are a lot of churches, but not the right kind of churches. We need more churches that are actually producing life. Yeah. You mean not all churches? No. Churches die. You're going to die. Churches die. There will be a day when Union Chapel doesn't exist. Is that okay? Sure, it's okay. It's normal. It's natural. Everybody has their day. If you're really old in the room right now, you had your day. Your glory days, right? I'm not going to say any more about that. It's just, I, it's not in my notes. I shouldn't have brought it up. Here's the point I want to make. Look, at the, look on the screen. If you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, then you're not ready to be used by God. Just part of the deal. If you, if you want to obey God, just wear that. There's going to, there's going to be resistance, opposition. You discover this in your own personal life. For example, you say, okay, I'm going, to, I'm going to spend the first 10 minutes of my day in devotions to God. I'm going to start that in the morning. And I'm going to get up just a few minutes earlier, and I'm going to pray a little bit. I'm going to study the Bible just before I get ready for my day. And the next morning, you wake up with the worst head cold you've ever had in your life. And, you, you know, you can barely stagger out of bed, and the whole thing's ruined. Or you, I'm going to go on a diet. 
Tomorrow I'm going to start the diet. Today I'm going to go buy some groceries, uh, the right kind of food, and then tomorrow I'm starting my diet. You go to the grocery store, they got a special on Twinkies. You buy one, you get 72 free. <laughs> right? Does this happen to anybody? One day old donuts, four dozens for a quarter. So you just, I can't, couldn't pass it up. So there's always going to be resistance. I'm being funny, but it's true. Bold obedience all usually triggers resistance. Here's the second thing I want you to know. I want you to be wise about this. Bold obedience often releases God's miracles. Okay, now, that, now we're getting an uptick. Bold obedience usually often releases God's miracles. Here's verse 19 of our text. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Now we read that 2,000 years later and we go, okay, ho-hum. An angel busted them out. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> it's interesting to note that the writer of the book of Acts, probably Luke, didn't use any hyperbole at all to describe this event. You know, it's, all, it's barely a complete sentence. But when we hear it, we think, zowie, this may have been a bigger event than is being depicted here. But maybe Luke, just in the matter-of-fact way that he describes the event, well, an angel of the Lord came and busted them out. He could have said, you know, a 10-foot angel with a flaming sword went in there and cleaned house and got him out. Hoo-wee. But that's not how it's depicted. It's depicted as, look, this is common. This is what we expect. This is how we're living now. We live in bold obedience to God, and God miraculously provides for us. This is normal. This is our routine. Isn't that interesting? Have that thought? Let me put this statement on the screen. When you're walking in bold obedience to God, you're not surprised by the miracles from God. And God will provide miracles. Years ago, uh, we were out of room in the Cornfield Church, and so I heard God say that we should go to Delta High School. I was at a local restaurant. God began to speak to me, and I, I just had these thoughts come to my mind. It just made a lot of sense. I began to write them down. I still have the napkin in my file. I'll show it to you. Come by my office. Show me that napkin from all those years ago when I was hearing from God about Delta. And so I thought, wow, this is great. God's given directions about how to relieve our, our uh, space problem and keep our momentum going. It's all great. And, and so I called up the high school principal, went into his office, told him the story. Sure, he, I was certain he'd be enthused about the whole thing, just like I was. And I said, so how about it? Can, can, my, can my church meet in your high school? And he said, he said, no. And, and I'll quote the principal, no, hell no. How many of you know that wasn't very encouraging? I said, what recourse do I have? And he said, well, you can talk to the superintendent of schools. But he said, I'm going to call him as soon as you leave the office. And you're not going to get anywhere with him. So the next day I met with the superintendent. He said, the principal's already talked to me. There's no chance your school's going to meet in our school. Our church is going to meet in our school. And so I said, well, what recourse do I have? And, I, and he said, well, you can appeal to the school board, but they're not going to vote against the administration's recommendation. So I wrote this contract. It was, I was careful and gracious. I said, how about an 18-month probationary period? We'll be careful. We'll be clean. We'll be conscientious. Uh, give us a chance, and we'll show you that, that, that we'll be good renters in your school. 
And so I took it to the school board, and one of the school board members asked me a question. What if there's a conflict between a school activity and a church activity? That's easy. School activities always take precedent. And so I answered the question right, and so another school board member said, I move that we give these folks a chance, 18 months, and a person seconded it. They voted. It was unanimous. We were in. The high school principal put his head down on the desk like a kindergarten in timeout. The superintendent of schools slid down in his chair until the back of his head hit the top of the chair. Just like a little pouty little boy. Just wanted to go, hey, go stand in the corner. But everybody was opposed to it, and God just opened the door. You know, the Bible says that if you obey God, that God will open doors of opportunity for you that no one can shut. And we expect these miracles. We have more modern-day miracles talking about church facilities. For example, we'll just use that genre. Uh, most of you know that we sent Randy and Gay, Gay Craning from our staff to plant a church in Fort Collins 12 years ago, and they got landlocked in a building that they couldn't afford because of real estate values appreciating so dramatically in that part of the country. They couldn't afford to, to, to leave. And so Randy started praying that God would just give him a building. Lord, you know we can't afford one, so give us one. You've heard the story. You saw the pictures. And about 10 months ago, a church in Fort Collins, Colorado, that had a 60,000-square-foot state-of-the-art ministry campus on 17 acres just hand Randy their facility, literally just gave it to him. It's worth 20 to $25 million, just handed it to him. Well, we've learned over the years that you don't go, woo-wee, let's... Let's, you know, put a rock there and make a, make a plaque. We just said, look, this is what God does. You boldly obey God in your life, and you can expect God to provide for you in miraculous ways. I could stand here for the next 20 days and tell you story after story after story of God's miraculous provision in the life of our ministry together. Amazing activities of God. Happening. Let me just tell you what happened this past week. Three of our church planners, current church planners, two of them need facilities to rent so they can launch, and a third one needs a permanent facility so they can keep momentum and keep growing. And all three of them are reporting this week that God has given them favor and opened doors in two different facilities that are at the top of their list of, of buildings that they would like to launch their church in, and the third one saying, we've discovered a property that is reasonably priced and we can make it work for us for many years and give us continued growth. Isn't that phen phenomenal? Isn't that just great? I, when you're walking in bold obedience to God, you're not surprised by the miracles that come from God. Now, here's the last point I want to make. I, wanna, I want you to get this because this will give you wisdom so that you can manage your life more effectively. And that is bold obedience always requires faith. Always requires faith. Now, here's, here's what the angel said to Peter and John when he's breaking them out of jail. He said, All right, here's what I want you to do. Tomorrow morning, go right back down to the temple and start preaching again. In other words, the very thing that got you thrown into jail in the first place today, I want you to go right back tomorrow and do the same thing. Now, when you read it, see, it's easy for us. We go, yeah, boys, go on out there. We're with you. Yeah, 
right behind you, boys. Now, I don't know about you, but I may have had to pause and ask the angel, you know, while I got you here, could you just reassure me that tomorrow's going to be okay? I mean, we got thrown into jail. They were going to kill us. We got thrown into jail. I don't know what they're going to do with us. Now you're letting us out. Are you going to come and get us out tomorrow? I mean, I've got some other questions about timing and about provision. I mean, you're going to let us stay in here for six months before you come and get us out? I mean, what, what is the deal? <laughs> Here's what we know. We want details. We always want to know, okay, God, if I, if I, start, if I start tithing, are you sure you're going to take care of me? How about this, God? I'll start tithing if you increase my income. I, there's no reason for me to think my income is going to go up, but if you would increase my income by, okay, 7%, I'll start tithing. You know, show me a sign. God may call you to, to lead a small group. Well, Lord, okay, if, my, if the dandelions suddenly start growing in August in my yard, that'll be the sign that you want me to lead a small group. Stop it. In order to obey, you have to have faith. Here's what we've learned. God rarely gives us the details. Here's how it works. He gives us grace for today and wants trusting obedience for tomorrow. Follow it now. If God gave us the entire blueprint all up front, then we'd probably never accept the assignment. Have you ever heard yourself say or think, if I knew then what I know now, I would not have done this or that. And the same thing's true when we're following Jesus. If Jesus had told me 40 years ago, this is going to be the influence of your church over the next 40 years. This is what I'm going to do through your church to influence the world for the kingdom. I know. I would have hesitated. I would have gone, wait a minute. I, I could never do that. I don't have capacity for that. Most of, the, most of it, if God had told it to us ahead of time, we'd have just said, well, that's just goofy. That's not even possible. Not even God could do that. No, no, I'm not going to do it. If I knew then what I know now, but that's not how it works. The way it works is God gives you just enough light for the next step, just enough illumination for the next decision. And he expects you to walk by faith. By faith, by faith. Some of you are going to be asked to start a business, and you're going to hesitate. So you have to exercise trust and faith. Some of you are going to be asked to lead a small group. And once you go through your list of reasons why you can't, you're just going to have to, by faith, step into that. God's going to challenge some of you to start tithing because you've never come to terms with this whole financial stewardship thing. You've got a lot of your spiritual life together, but this one you just can't get over. You can't get past. You can't get around it. It's just a, it's a, it's a place where you hesitate. You just haven't gotten liberty there yet. Well, let me just tell you something. If you know it's the right thing to do, then what God calls you to is bold obedience. And in order to do it, you have to do it by faith. Listen, if, if I only tithe every time I felt like it, I wouldn't tithe all the time. So why do I do it? I know it's an act of obedience to God. I know it requires faith on my part. It's, a, it's an expression of my worship to God. And by the way, what could God ask of me that I wouldn't say yes? 
Some of you are going to be challenged to approach a friend or a family member to restore a broken relationship, and you know that it's going to be very, very difficult. And if you're going to obey God, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to push through opposition, and you're going to have to trust him for miracles, and you're going to have to initiate that by faith because you don't see any way this is going to come out. But I know God wants me to talk to them. Take the first step. Offer my forgiveness and my grace. Yeah, yeah. There are going to be days in the future of our lives together here in, the, in our church that God is going to call us all to greater levels of bold commitment and obedience in our time and our talents, our treasure. I can predict that. And so we'll have to walk by faith. Now let me give you this caveat because this may encourage you. I hope it does. Put this on the screen for you. Obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's responsibility. Now let that, let that encourage you. Obedience is our responsibility. Outcome is God's responsibility. And so we do what we believe God's asking us to do and trust him with the results. Trust him with the timing. Trust him with the outcome. Yeah, that's his responsibility. In Acts 5.21, the next verse after our passage, at daybreak they entered the temple courts, and as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. They, they did it. As they had been told, the next morning, they obeyed immediately, completely, without delay. Now, here's a little important lesson. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Postponed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. So whatever God says to you today, give him your faithful, trusting yes. Yes, Lord, what you say, when you say, with whom you say. So no matter where you are on the spiritual scale this morning, where you are in your maturity of faith, let me just offer to you the wisdom of God, which is to give a bold and confident, obedient yes to whatever he asks you to do. Do it. Obey him. Because you never know what Almighty God might do through one act of obedience. Watch how this story ends. Acts chapter 5, 28 and 29. They go out the next morning. They start preaching about Jesus. The boys found out about it. They grab them, put them back into custody. They're back in jail before 10 o'clock in the morning. The next day, <laughs> they said to him, we gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So they, they scolded him, and they, and they threatened to kill him. This is what Peter and the other apostles replied, Acts 5.29. They simply said, we must obey God rather than man. We must obey God rather than man. See, these guys, these guys had experienced Jesus. Their act of obedience to say yes to God's plan and will for their lives have transformed their lives. And so they are in a position now where Jesus is their everything. They look at these Jewish leaders and they said, look, this Jesus whom we're preaching, he's not just a good idea to us. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. He's our friend. He's our King. He's our God. You can chain us up, but you can't shut us up. You can lock us up, but you can't shut us up. You can tie us up, but you can't shut us up because he's everything to us. We have to obey God rather than you. We have to follow him rather than you. And so you can do whatever you like to us but we will continue to preach in his name.
Oh, yeah. You might as well make the, tell the sun not to shine. You might as well tell the birds not to sing because he's our all in all. And we will obey God rather than men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they flogged them. They beat them. And they let them go. You know what they did as they were leaving? They were celebrating and worshiping. God, we thank you that we're worthy to suffer in your name. We are worthy to take this flogging today and beating for preaching your word. They went right back out and started doing it some more. Here's what I know, friends. If you boldly obey God in your life, you're going to meet opposition. It'll happen. Come to terms with it. The second thing is that you should expect when you boldly obey that God is going to miraculously provide for you. He will open doors of opportunity. He will create paths of resource and provision and protection for your life in miraculous ways that you can step back and say, wow, God is on my side. How cool is that? And this is something else you can know for sure. God will never ask you to do something that's really comfortable and easy for you to do. He'll always challenge you to do something that's just beyond where your comfort zone is, and that will require your faith. You'll have to live by faith. That's where it is. Sorry. So expect resistance. Expect God's miracle help. And expect to have to exercise your faith to boldly obey. Because there's no telling what Almighty God might do through one single act of obedience. Did you get it? Did you hear it? There it is. All right. Stand up with me. Let's pray for just a moment. Now, Lord, hear our prayer together. Prompt us today. Lead us. Guide us. Speak to us, O God. Reveal your will to us. And Lord, as we pray these words, we're fully aware that there will be resistance and opposition. We know that. But we also know that you are a miracle-working God and that you will supernaturally provide for us, protect us, keep us and go before us. So with that knowledge, we pray then fill us with courage and boldness and the faith required to obey. Help us then to live in bold obedience for Jesus' sake and in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.